0: In the float tank, you know, you can really focus and strategize on things without having distractions. So Mm -hmm. this is why I love when students come to float because they can really focus if they're, you know, even you don't have to be listening to anything, but you could just play a track in your mind of what you're trying to learn um, or focus on. It's amazing how deep your brain can go to kind of foster new creative thoughts.
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Off The Dome Radio. Today we have a very fun and exciting guest, very passionate as well, Gloria Morris, uh, owner and founder of Float 60. She owns three locations, two in Chicago, uh, 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 North Loop and South Loop, as well as one in Northwest Indiana in Cherville. And so what floating is, uh, just a, a quick little synopsis, is... I'm sure some people have at least seen the single float pods. This is a little bit bigger, kind of like your own little suite. You have a bigger tank, there's a shower you do pre and post, uh, and you're you're in water about 10 inches deep with at least 1,000 pounds of, of Epsom salts to help you float. And it helps. You're in the dark, you can have the option for uh, some lighting. But they recommend the dark. It's good for relaxation, meditation, uh, musculoskeletal awareness, which you will find yourself triggering certain muscles and groups that you don't need to because you're basically floating on a cloud. Um, Mental and,
2: clarity was a big one for me.
1: Yep. And and another big one is sensory deprivation too. So a lot of good things done. Uh, there's research out there with this helping PTSD as well. Uh, so we actually uh, I took... Tim to uh, to float for his first time as well, um, but Gloria got into her background, her childhood, um, growing up in a family of entrepreneurs. She used to work for Disney. She's done anything from that, been in casino business uh, to health and fitness, and, and kind of tying all her experiences together to how she created Float60. And she goes in that actual process of forming that business, the obstacles she faced, the mistakes she made, uh, mistakes she made, and. And what starting that type of business really looks like. She, she said very, very proudly that this is the hardest business that you can create. You're basically running five oceans in a room. And uh, so then she goes into scaling a business and, and how to get the most out of uh, what we see as the three biggest uh, investments uh, that a small business might face. Uh, Tim, what did you think of this one? I know this is a fir- our first time both meeting Gloria mm-hmm. uh, and your first time floating as well. So, what did you think of this, yeah. this interview? She
2: was very, very smart about what she was talking about. You, you can tell she's done a lot of research. You can tell she's grown up in a family of entrepreneurs because she just gets it. She, she, she brought a lot of energy to the table. I felt more energized after talking to her. She's it, it was a great interview. I feel it, it was like an hour fifty, but I felt like we could have gone for for twice that time. So, yeah. Yeah, she, she talks about the benefits of floating. She's very educated on that. She's actually created an educational portal um, to educate people as this type of business expands. Uh, so she she talks about the different things, about its impact on mental health, sleep. And I definitely felt that when I went. Uh, we asked Gloria about the most important characteristics she looks for in people as she grows her business and hires new people. Because she describes these people as unicorns because they have to have a special set of characteristics to help run her business the way she wants it to be run uh, so she talks about that
1: I love how much you love asking that question oh it's my go-to question to our interview guys I,
2: I think you got to be able to leave your business in the hands of people who are extensions of yourself so I, I think what, what's important there is put that on a billboard <laughs> exactly man what you got Don Draper yeah and Gloria's really she's involved in the community uh raising money for nonprofits. Uh, she's part of something called the Service League. She talks about that. She even has her own podcast called Speaking of Charity, which provides a platform for these different nonprofits to get on and tell their story. So we talked to her about that. Fantastic interview. I hope you guys get a lot out of it. Episode 52, Gloria Morris.
1: So Gloria Morris, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks Thank for you. for being with us for your time um yeah if if you mind just maybe give us a little brief intro your background and i know you said you had quite the personal journey as well Mm -hmm. and uh, if you see me glimpse at my computers are recording them just make sure nothing's goofed there so
0: great yes so gloria morris i um, am born and raised in northwest indiana so i'm happy to actually be sitting in the building by the way this is the first time we've ever done any type of podcast here. Everything's done from Chicago. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so this is really, this is good. And I was going to have you guys come to Chicago, but this, this worked out well, especially with the sleet that we're getting today in this beautiful (laughs) April day. Hail in April, (laughs) because it
1: makes sense here, right?
0: Exactly. So um, my background, I come from a long line of family businesses. My grandfather was a master tailor and he had a men's clothing store in Maribel. So Big, tall, short, small, we fit them all. John Chico's menswear. That's (laughs) That's my plug. (laughs) That's uh, awesome. Yeah, I, I lost him just this past summer, but he was a huge, he and my grandmother and my whole family, they were a huge influence on my upbringing in terms of being in a family business. You don't even know that you're learning when you're like a toddler going through, going to work with your family. You have no idea that you're actually picking up skills that you'll use for the rest of your life. I had no idea. Or did I have any appreciation? I had none, right? right. So um, yeah, so started there. And then when I went away to school, I studied management. So did not know at that time that I was going to start businesses, certainly not like this kind mm-hmm. of business. Yeah. Um, but I worked in hospitality for a while, meaning I worked in hotels, I worked in casinos, and I was really trained by the best organizations in the world. I worked for Disney through an internship at IU, Bloomington, and I think that was a life changer because I think I was exposed to just how businesses should be run and how complex a business can really be behind the scenes, even though it looks like such a good time to the external consumer. Sure. Yeah. Um, so there's just so much uh, intelligence that goes behind some of these um, these things that look so simple. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and also worked in health and fitness. So, even growing up when I was like 16, well, I think I was 15, lied about my age mm-hmm. saying I was 16 to get my first like personal training job. True
1: mm-hmm. entrepreneur, right? There. Yeah, like,
0: I was getting creative getting way the back tool. then. Whatever I guess it takes. I've yeah. always been that way mm-hmm. um, creative. But even though I joke and say that I'm not creative, I think I do have some creative, I just don't have an artsy side to me. But, um, yeah, so I was kind of in wellness and hospitality, and kind of evolved to this business now being a culmination of all of those things. Sure. Uh, but I spent most of my career in technology. So I worked with multiple companies implementing their uh, data warehousing. So before big data was a thing, or you ever heard about data sciences mm-hmm. data scientists, mm-hmm. I was working with, big companies managing their data mm. and selling huge software and hardware systems to manage data for really big companies. Okay. So yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Awesome. From a um, business background.
1: So Disney, what what was your role there? Uh, uh, I feel like there were some interesting behind the scenes things happening. So take us through uh, some of what goes on that people don't see, which to the consumer, they, they want it all to look like it's a fairy tale, obviously. Yes, so, yes. So, walk us through some of that uh what you did there with them and and how that impacted the the
0: yeah and gosh i haven't talked about this in so long but when i first started the internship i had no idea what to really expect right and you kind of put your you go through an interview process at the university they recruit from universities all over the country over the world really and uh, they put me in the attraction side so I guess they find people with some kind of theatrical characteristics and they say, okay, you should work where you're working with these different attractions. So my job, I had no idea I was going to have the best job in the whole place. (laughs) Mark my words, anybody, any Disney fans out there, great movie ride, Disney MGM Studios, we are a cult. Anybody who worked on that ride, we all think we're the best because <laughs> we are the best no yeah. so we, who, who is
1: the worst ride people
0: oh gosh I don't want to say <laughs> who's anything. the ride? No, I don't judge I don't <laughs> judge but uh, those Jungle Cruise folks no <laughs> no I, I had plenty of friends in the Jungle yeah, Cruise but um, awesome. no we we basically were um, on this tram if you will and I was a bank robber or a bandit in the show, and I would rob the same bank twelve times a day. Oh jeez! <laughs> yeah, I think I was in the they best learned, shape huh? of my life then. They never learn. Yeah, these <laughs> people just kept coming back. Um, but yeah, I used to run these these very steep stairs um, in part of the show, and uh, gosh, it was those are the days where I was able to do that kind of thing. I was yeah. in really good shape, but the academic side was really. Profound, and the principles that I learned going through that program—not just in the curriculum, but just being exposed to other cultures—were, I mean, just unsurpassed. You cannot really replicate that experience um, in, in such a unique environment. I had roommates from—I had, I think, there were six people in each townhome, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. So, two per room, three-bedroom townhome, okay, yeah. and I had a. Um, roommate from china norway france mm. canada and another american roommate so just the melding of those cultures again you don't appreciate it at the time but you leave your life you know leave that part of your life behind and you you know that somehow that's shaped you into appreciating other cultures and other way people live and so yeah huge props to that program My daughter did not do it. I tried to encourage her to do it. But, uh, yeah, it's a a great, great program that I think really, um, you know, just kind of shaped my expectation on what a hospitality company should feel like.
2: Yeah. So. What was the most – what was the biggest thing you learned? You mentioned how you learned about how a business operates and the ins ins and outs. What's the most, like, surprising thing you learned or something that really stood out to you that you took away from it in that regard?
0: As it relates to Disney – I mean, there's so many procedures and policies and standards that this this company upholds and mm-hmm. has upheld over all of these years yeah. to create this consistent service delivery, right? So, I don't know that it surprised me, but it certainly um, left an impact on me. Where when you you know you're you're trained in that way, you're. Your service expectation now just elevates, right? So anything that um, any ex- business that I go to now, I'm very particular. Mm. I'm, I have high expectations. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing. I didn't expect for it to impact me the rest of my life the way it has, and it has. Like I'm, I have high expectations for standards for my team, for when I go to a business, and I'll let people know when it's not good (laughs) my Italian can come out (laughs) you know because you just and I'm proud because um even my son came back from seeing the Avengers yesterday
1: okay
0: and uh they had a service breakdown the the theater one of the projectors was out Uh and uh he was so appalled on how the situation was handled and inside I'm thinking okay mom you did a good job like Most people are not going to walk out thinking they should have handled that differently because it impacted service so, you know, so significantly. So I was like proud of myself that this kind of went through him. Right. So, um, yeah, it's I don't know if that answers your question specifically, but just the level of expectation on service for yeah.
1: sure. It sounds like he's already getting some of that you mentioned from your parents when you were young learning but you didn't know it.
0: Yes. And
1: it seems like he's getting some of that whether he realizes it or not where it's like it shouldn't have been that way. Yes. Like, from a consumer like that it should have been different. There's exactly. something that's not clicking. So yes. it's, it's cool that you see that and now he's yeah. going through that.
0: It, it was cool and literally this was at my kitchen counter last night. I was thinking that. Mm-hmm. Thinking like okay. I see how this process works of yeah, <laughs> raising yeah. children. Um, and I didn't say anything to them, but, you know, he, they, they know that I have high high standards and them working in my business, too. I think I've worked really hard to make sure that they understand the business mm-hmm. side of things. So, sure.
1: yeah. So, so how did those things, learning from hospitality, the expectation, how it should go, carry then into the data when you're working with the data science and handling that? Uh, How did that, like, okay, that was a good takeaway. I needed that, whether it's from the Disney or uh, other casinos. um, What were some things where, wow, I'm glad I have this.
0: Yeah, so my transition from being kind of in the service side to the technology side was interesting. I've always been an early adopter of technology. I mean, going back 30 years, I was usually the first person to have... the the latest device, one of the first people I knew to have a cell phone in the car, you know, with a little curly antenna on top. You guys don't have any idea what I'm talking about, I'm sure. (laughs) The bag phone. I remember people thinking, oh my gosh, she's crazy. And I remember like having the first smartphone. It was the first like hybrid of a Blackberry and phone together. And people are like, what on earth do you need that for? I'm like, oh, just wait. (laughs) So... My transition was being kind of an early adopter of the software I was using. I was working in uh, the gaming industry and hotel industry at the time, and I was always kind of just one of those super users of the, the systems that we use. Sure. And um, when I had my first uh, child, which was my daughter Gina, um, she, you know, kind of changed my life in that I, I knew I needed to kind of step away from being in a business, you know, working for someone else every day. And that's when I first started like thinking about creating my own business. So that's when I went from hospitality to working on the technology side as a vendor. So I started working with people's customer service data. Okay. So mystery shopping data. And so the service side was very important because now I could quantify what service should look like, right? How long you should wait in line, how many uh, a ratings you had on your customer service surveys so that's kind of how that all came together and then it just kind of evolved from there yeah Um, so that was kind of my first real instance of transition and then it got really intense as data became more and more accessible I mean over the last ten years you just can't even you can't nobody can control it right Mm -hmm. now it's it's just uh, a whole different level and I've always kind of appreciated it, but at the same time tried to keep that human element of it in my own yeah. work. So
1: So it, it seems like you kind of found the writing on the wall with the technology. You said you're an early adopter. You always had the, the newest thing. And and nowadays, like modern day for people who saw that years ago, they're way ahead of the curve. Yes. So what what did you kind of look for or what did you see – that presented itself to you to where it was like, okay, I need to keep my finger on the pulse on this because this is this is big time.
0: Yeah, I, I think that for me, the quantification of a standard was the key that I've always had my my eye on. And I sure. think anybody that's worked with me has always known this, right? So it's not enough to say you should have, you know, positive guest experience. You actually have to break that down into very... You know minute elements so that new staff members can understand what that means Mm -hmm. and so um i've just always kind of looked at what data is available and how can you kind of transition that into a service delivery system Mm -hmm. so i I would say i'm very systems and process driven which sometimes is is tough as a business owner because you you have to be in the minutia when you're kind of a one woman show you have to do everything yeah and being focused on systems all the time, it, you just don't have the luxury of of looking at big picture all the time, but I've really tried to keep that. And um, I, I think with all the data that's coming at us, it, I mean, that just goes into a whole other topic on why I started the business that I started, which we haven't yeah. talked about yet, but I still have a very data-centric approach to how I manage my people, how I manage my clients, how I manage you know our customer relationship management systems, uh-huh. our database. Um, what's, what's funny, and I joke about this, like the business that I have now started is truly a culmination of my life as a fitness instructor. Early on, my days working at Disney in hospitality, my days as a hotel person, um, all of that has kind of come together. Then the technology side. You know, bringing all of that together in one business, it is challenging when, again, you're doing it, you're kind of leading a group of people, a small group of people. It's, do I look tired? I saw I have a Mm. little piece of gray right (laughs) here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I really like what you said about, like, the data and using it to, to, like, manage it. Because I I read a book recently about small businesses, and they said, they're talking about data, and they say, like, what measured what what is measured can be managed. So that kind of exactly. t- that kind of takes back to like what you're saying about using that to help you give a better like customer service offering. You got the technology side. Yeah. Yes,
0: yeah. So for example, you know every every uh, business has service breakdowns, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of data out there that says if a customer experiences a negative situation at your business and it's resolved in a way that is professional and exceeds their expectations in a timely manner just how you handled it that customer who had the problem will be more loyal than the customer who never had a problem
2: Mm.
0: so Mm. it's it's really real and if you just embrace that you're going to have these things but put a mechanism in to measure what those breakdowns are that's kind of where all the dots get connected Mm -hmm. so we measure you know all kinds of things but when there's a problem, we document why, and then at the end of the month, I'll look at okay, how many service recoveries did we do, and what were the reasons? And that was really like ingrained in me through one company that I worked with in particular, Caesar's Entertainment it was Harris at the time. Um, I managed the whole service recovery process for our location, and that's that's definitely been something that stuck with me. So I appreciate that past experience. Yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely. Um. So I kind of want to go back a little bit to your fitness instructor days. And I don't, I don't want to... I don't know if I remember that. Huh? I don't know if I remember that far back. <laughs> but we'll
0: try. Go ahead. Try uh, me. <laughs> just because uh,
1: cause I'm in rehab and exercise therapy. So, okay. Uh, with a personal training background before. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested what you did, uh, how yeah. you view health and fitness now, uh, especially with all the social media stuff and, and some things that you see like this is just harped on and it's not right or some of the good stuff that you do see going on too because I know there's a lot of both happening so going back I mean we're talking like mid-80s
0: right and women barely belonged to gyms back then so I was again an early adopter I remember being like one of the only women in the gym and kind of getting in early and seeing that it could make a very positive impact on myself and other people so Um, I taught aerobics for, for years and, um, I think the difference between then and now is now the great news is that it is, it is embedded into our culture and probably a little bit because of social media. There's so much content out there or influencers out there that are influencing, right? Mm -hmm. They're influencing people to do things in all kinds of ways, but talking about health and fitness, (laughs) it's, it's a positive thing. I think back when I was doing it, it was, um, you know, just there weren't a lot of things out there that were specific to um, kind of achieving certain goals. Like now you see a different fitness concept on every corner. You've got, we're just talking with the guy that walked in the lobby earlier, there's a UFC class gym coming, there's, you know, Pilates studios, of course, yoga studios all over the place, just the way that it's evolved to have such varied um, specific focuses and mm-hmm. functions I think that's that's just the biggest difference right yeah, it's just part yeah. of our culture yeah. um, but back then it was not it was not at all in fact you know when I was working out I remember people thought I was weird back then too people always thought I was <laughs> 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 like the what is she doing <laughs> eating those chicken breasts and bowls I remember like being in high school having like chicken breasts and rice like oh wow. yeah trying to like yeah, it was it was uh, definitely something that was
1: You're one of the different. real early adopters. I right? was Yeah, I used rice.
0: to I used to look at like Muscle and Fitness magazine with Corey Everson. Do you know who that is? I don't know
1: Corey Everson. I know oh. like
0: um, Well you should.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, Frank Zane and, yeah. and, and the yeah. Roman, uh the Arnold era obviously. Yes, but, yes. Yeah, Frank Zane so was, that was top, back top physiques. Before,
0: That was back in my day. So yeah, okay. but but now I think, again, the social media movement has really elevated our awareness of what being fit looks like and how it's accessible, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think you can talk about the negative side all day long, but there sure. are some positive oh, parts to it too, yeah. right? But yeah, so taking care of people and being aware of healthy modalities that are progressive and new, that's definitely part of my DNA. Yeah,
1: you know, Absolutely. So uh, I guess I kind of like to get into uh, how that all the whole package carried into what you do now with Float sixty and a little bit of that. I know you have a journey with that experience. So yes.
0: So um, and I've talked about how I kind of got into floating before, but just real quick, I didn't know anything about floating until April of twenty fifteen. So it was just four years ago, and it seems like so long ago, but yesterday at the same time um floating's been around for a long time going back to even the 50s and then a little resurgence in the 70s um again in the 90s so the modality of it has been around but i had never heard of it i like when's the last time you guys had or when's the first time you had heard of it uh last year last year yeah Yeah. Yeah. so it's it's interesting because it has been around but it's been a little bit subculture and um, when I was exposed to it, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I was like, why would I want to be locked in a dark box for an hour? Like, what <laughs> is that? What What am I? It was just so foreign to me, but I was had an open mind. When I did it for the first time, my life definitely changed, obviously, but it was... Profound in the sense that being a technologist, I'm always wired, always tied to my phone, always on, being a mom, I'm, I'm always available. You know, it literally took me out of my life for 60 minutes. And I, I was just not used to feeling like that, feeling detached but awake, um, rested but not asleep so it was really profound when i walked out of after my first float and it was a place in chicago that was open 34 years
1: yeah wow
0: yeah space-time tanks i always try to give them a shout out because so many people who floated way back when that's where they floated they've been the only place around for so many years but when i walked out of there i remember thinking holy cow like i'm noticing things i haven't noticed before whether it was like the sharpness around you know a branch of a tree or the color of the sky i mean you notice these things but it was really something different so everything i describe it as being high death mm-hmm. and the real impact for that first float was when i went to bed that night i felt the deepest relaxation and hardest sleep i think i could ever remember wow So I was like, holy shit, I need to do that again. (laughs) And then the whole thing started because I wanted to buy a float tank for my house because I thought, well, it's totally inconvenient to go to that place. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like feel 100 percent comfortable. Right. And it looks so easy. Like it's just a float tank. You just how hard can this be? (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, By the way, just in case I don't get to it later, this is the hardest business you can start hands down wow yeah so when i'm saying these things just laugh to yourself because it it is so not easy yeah got it so it was when i started googling you know float tanks buying a float tank i was um, exposed to a couple of amazing well not just a couple there's a group of people out of portland who do these apprentice programs and training programs to start your own float center so not not like. You could start your own brand, and this is just like the mechanics of running float tanks. So I did that almost immediately. My first float was in April. I was signed up for that apprentice program in May, started my company on paper in May once I realized that this is a bigger undertaking. I think when I saw the price, I'm like, well, there's no way I can just put one of these in my house. Mm -hmm. I'll have to charge my friends to come over and use it. That's when the business side kind of clicked in. And um yeah, it was just a rush of activity between April of twenty fifteen and February of twenty sixteen. That was my life. I was obsessed with figuring out how to open this business. Mm-hmm. And we opened nine months from the date of my first float. Wow.
2: Wow. Yeah.
1: That's fast.
2: Yeah. That should That's tell you really one fast. thing.
0: One takeaway. I am batshit crazy just put your head down and just fucking go like it was insane and a couple of things like contributed to I think the velocity I had just graduated from DePaul with my master's and I had a place in Chicago for many years that it, it was a great location and there was an empty business next to the grocery store in my neighborhood and every time I went by there for six years, I'm like, damn, what should be in that business? That's like the curse of being a business-minded person. You can't go past an empty commercial space and think, huh, I wonder what's going to go in there. Or I wonder what I should put in there. It's just, it's terrible, right? Yeah. This is a huge distraction. Yeah. But as soon as I discovered I was going to do this those dots connected. And I'm like that's the location that's the business done and so all of this inertia took over mm-hmm. um well guess what that location didn't work out um you know the things you learn in this business is is probably not a good idea to have a float center on a second floor mm-hmm. um it's extremely expensive to start a float center everything you think that it's going to cost just either at least 40 to 50% more. Um, but yeah, when that fell through, I was kind of already pot committed to the whole idea. I had my brand, I had my my whole vision in my head. And so when that fell through, it was like August of that same year, 2015. I got, you know, a lot of things going by then, and I remember just breaking down in tears like, "Oh my god. What what now?" That was my that was my space. So lesson one learned as an entrepreneur, like never get emotionally connected to any location mm. because you never know what the deal is, right? Okay. So I remember getting on one of those city bikes, the blue Divi bikes, crying, sweating because it was hot out. And I was going up and down the streets of Streeterville and River North looking for my location. Yeah. Mm. So it was uh, quite, quite a kind of a it was the first like hurdle in my plan of of doing sure. this right yeah. but yeah so long story short I ended up finding another location and there's a story behind that too but uh the location I have now which is river north has been a fantastic location and thank you to all the people of River North or Chicago that have been listening they they really embraced us and being my first location I made all kinds of mistakes that I'm still paying for now in terms of how things have laid out and just the operational flow of running a float center is a science Mm -hmm. so now that I'm on location three I'm much smarter (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Good. So out of
1: curiosity, what was detrimental about being on the second floor and, so and the first location?
0: Float tanks are massive pieces of, of equipment, hmm. um, especially my vision was to have these modern style tanks. So by the time you have the equipment itself and then you have 200 gallons of water, with over a thousand pounds of Epsom salt dissolved in the water, these things weigh like over two and a half tons. That makes yeah. sense. So if you have four of them or five of them, if you're crazy, yeah. um, you <laughs> have to consider that from an architectural structural yeah. standpoint, which you don't think about any of that when you're when you first start. Like, sure. oh yeah. Well, I mean, people have had to use cranes and forklifts to get them up through windows of second floors me there's a whole that's a whole other podcast right of how to manage the process of getting float tanks into the door usually you have to bring them in and build everything around them i have so many pictures that i could show you guys uh you just wouldn't believe that'd be cool the drama that you go through and uh yeah so it's it's not impossible but it's not ideal because then if you have any leaks, it's like having, if you have four tanks, it's like having four oceans inside your building, okay. right? Because yep. you're dealing with water and salt. And mm-hmm. as we know, total, you know, it's destructive. Right. So if you have, if you're in a landlord building and you've got a leak, it goes to the tenant space below, you're mm. in big trouble. Yeah. Yeah. But as a rule, you don't want to carry float tanks upstairs or downstairs.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. That makes so. sense. Yeah, <laughs> Break break it down. Just weight in general. Yeah. 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 That's something you think about. Exactly. Uh, I want to go back to the moment when, okay, so you floated for the first time. You said the next month you, you put the business on paper. You wrote everything down. I want to just ask you, like, what that moment looked like. What what was the vision that you had for the company when you wrote it down and ca- how did it kind of crystallize into what it is today?
0: Yes. Yes. I, I love the fact that you use the term crystallize because that's what the salt does when it gets to, but so I'm like a hyper focused person. Um, and most people that know me know this. I'm when I clamp onto something, I'm like a bulldog and I don't let it go. So to the point where it's obsessive, right? I don't know that it's always healthy, right? You, you just get into this flow state and I, I'm obsessed with getting to the end state. So I remember going and floating as, as, at as many places as I could after that first float, April 17th. And what is today's date? So I just had my four year anniversary from my first float, didn't I? I didn't oh, wow. even realize that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Right on the show here. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. right. Yeah, so it was a process of kind of pu- pulling all of my knowledge together. Mm-hmm. I knew that this was a strange thing that nobody had ever heard of, and I knew that there are barriers for people floating. The first barrier to people floating is just feeling like they're safe. Right? Feeling claustrophobic, feeling like they're trapped, right? So I wanted to create a brand and a feeling of trust and modern, um, like a modern environment that people had control over mm. because that would eliminate that barrier. The other barrier for people floating is just understanding the whole sanitation process. Um, and that was something I had to overcome too. So just being very, transparent in our brand about how things worked, I thought was very important. So yeah, I started floating and in the float tank, you know, you can really focus and strategize on things without having distractions. So Mm. this is why I love when students come to float because they can really focus if they're, you know, even you don't have to be listening to anything, but you could just play a track in your mind of what you're trying to learn Um, or focus on it's amazing how deep your brain can go to kind of foster new creative thoughts so um, to answer your question i kind of had the modernization component i had the cleanliness component the trust the credibility those are the three or four pillars that i Mm -hmm. wanted to be as part of my brand and i wanted the name to be obvious but not so Float 60, most people don't know. It just means you float for 60 minutes. It's like yeah. super obvious, but not, right? Yeah, right? So I must have come up with 200 names and I own like all the domains because that's the nerd in me. I just went not <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's me. I'm like, and I, n- I don't write things down. I'm usually, uh, you know, I'm texting or typing. Yeah. And so I just started downloading everything, but it was very clear, like within not even a month that my name was going to be Float 60. I had a vision for what it was going to look like and feel like, and I surrounded myself with a bunch of talented people to help me get it from here out here in a plan. So architects, designers, brand experts, all of that went into the first part of it. I did not take that part lightly, which a lot of people do. A lot of people take that part lightly. They don't really think through all of those components, but that's what sticks with people the most, right? So the branding and the design, I wanted it to be, you know, very crisp. So that's, that's really kind of how it came together. And then once I started getting these other resources to show me the concepts, oh man, did it get exciting from there, right? It just started coming to life. So when you you know, think of something in your head in a float tank, and then all of a sudden it's on paper. It's pretty. That that process is addicting. That's like yeah. the entrepreneurial mm-hmm. process, right? So I'm sure with the podcast, you guys had the same thing coming up with your name, and yeah. all of a sudden it's like its own life. It's like yeah. a baby, it, yeah. it's, right? It's here. It's yeah. here. And, and yeah. I was
1: going to ask you because you, I like how you said you you had this this visualization that of what it was going to look like, and then you weren't lied about that so because we talk a lot about visualization meditation on the show and you need to see even a specific conversation with someone you're trying to reach
0: yes just
1: like in such good detail so how much of that do you think really made it what it is today to where it's like I saw this and because I saw what I wanted the, the positive you know people can oh this isn't gonna work out you know first location of second floor it just didn't happen yeah so how did you maintain that visual of like no this is it
0: yeah so that part never wavered I, if there's one thing I've been confident about from the beginning is I knew exactly what it should feel like to a guest in their experience and it was just going to be like turning dials and raising levers lowering levers to tune into that right so every location that I've that I've had now there are nuances that you have to deal with to make it feel like a float 60. And so that branding piece, even from the beginning, even though I didn't know I was going to have multiple locations, I built it as if I was just in case, okay. you know, because why, why wouldn't you, right? Why would you not think that way? And it also played into the credibility piece. It was really important for me. When a customer came to Float 60 for the first time, even when we opened the first day, that it felt like there were more than one. Like, oh, this must be a franchise or this must be something bigger. So that, to me, gives somebody a sense of safety and comfort that these people, they might have just opened their doors yesterday, but it feels like there must be more than one.
1: it yeah. <laughs> homey feel.
0: Yeah. Or just like, I don't want to say... Corporate feel, but I just want to say, like a feeling of repeatability. Like this okay. has been done before. These people know what they're doing. Your brand, I think, in the float industry, should convey that because mm-hmm. it's scary to people. Yeah. People are scared when they come in. Often,
1: yeah.
0: yeah, the the anxiety. I mean, people are full of anxiety anyway, all the time. But then you're gonna put them, you're gonna get them naked. You're going to put them in a dark box, cabin, pod, you name it. And they're going to be by themselves for an hour. I mean, it is, the notion of it is a little bit intimidating to most people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which makes it awesome at the same time, like the intrigue of it and all of that. But I just can't reiterate that enough that all of those things kind of factored into the way our space feels and just the, the... look and how our employees treat you all of that is Mm -hmm. to really go out of our way to make you feel comfortable like you're safe here yeah yeah
2: and I feel like a a big part of it as well in in establishing that trust with someone up front is like the education part of it and and telling them how do you with your brand with your with your customer service just with your company your branding how do you do that and educate people up front
0: Gosh, and this is where I'm such a self-critic because um, there's so many things in my mind that we should have done already. Having come from Disney and coming from, you know, working at a Marriott before and working at, you know, major brands that have all of these processes and systems nailed, Mm -hmm. it's difficult for me as a business owner who's created something from scratch to have that end state, right? So, for the last two years, I have been working on this education portal for our team. Nobody's ever even seen it yet, right? So that whole phrase, perfect is the enemy of good, like this is where I'll critique myself. I've got to get, I've just got to get it out there, right? Just yeah, Because sure. we can tweak it as we go and nothing's in stone. But I'm, I am have such this root of this these, these processes from my experience before, I, I just don't feel like we're there yet. So mm-hmm. to answer your question, um, we try to, through our website, I, I've created yeah. the website myself. It's another benefit I have of being technology savvy. I can, I'm not intimidated to go on there and just figure things out. So we've tried to put some videos in there. We've tried to put some blogs, but I don't think it's where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does. It's it serves its purpose for I think now. It does. Yeah.
2: yeah. You said like, you've yeah, been on there. Yeah, because I didn't really know anything about it, and I went straight to your website. I think you guys do an excellent job of explaining what it is, and then Good. I like the page with all the benefits. On Good. Because there, there's a lot of them on there, and it's very educational. Good. So, I I well, a long list of benefits. Yeah. yeah. There,
0: there is, and you know, I'm also careful. Being science and data driven, I'm, I'm careful about promising people too much. I mm-hmm. like to manage people's expectations. You might go in there. And, you know, you're not going to see crazy visions or hallucinations. I mean, everybody is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I focus on are the things I know, both anecdotally and science-backed. That these are things that help you, right? We know that magnesium is a natural muscle relaxer. We know that when you put a lot of it in 200, po- 200 gallons of water, you will float, whether you know how to swim or not. That's like <laughs> the biggest... People think, oh, well, I can just do this at home in my bathtub. No, you can't. Um, So let's talk about the difference between soaking and floating. (laughs) Right? You can soak in a cup. If you're feeling nuts and you do two cups in your bathtub, whoa, you're crazy, right? (laughs) You're soaking in two cups of Epsom salt. But we're talking like 20, 50-pound bags at least in each one making the water so dense that it literally cushions you like a water cloud. That's what floating is. It's thebomb.com. Yeah. I it want to step, in. I wanna <laughs> step in right
2: now.
1: <laughs> you're going problem. to. So I'm so awesome. excited. Oh, Tim, I'm so excited for you.
0: <laughs> but don't. So, Tim, make sure you're managing your expectations too. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? When you go in there, we work so hard to make you feel nothing. And this is weird for people, right? So you'll hear people say, "Oh, I, I can't sit still," or "I got bored." Well, yeah, you are going to get bored because you're doing nothing, right? Yeah. The point is not to hear, we're not here to stimulate you. This is not Disney World. This is <laughs> this is the opposite, right? <laughs> Good
2: comparison. You're not yeah. Robin Banks in here. <laughs> yeah,
0: and it's really what you got going on here in your mind. Yeah. For those listening and not seeing, I'm using my hands because I do that. Um, Lots of craziness is up here. Mm-hmm. And depending upon how you are, when you come to float, you could have an emotional experience. You can have, if you have a lot going on and lo- like lots of things weighing on you, you might feel anxious because mm-hmm. you feel like, oh my God, I can't spend this hour to myself. Yeah. Um, just a lot of things can happen. Or mm-hmm. you could fall into that holy grail theta state. And that's when, you know, that period right before you fall asleep, but you're awake and you have like that. They call it the hypnagogic jerk in your sleep. That's like the sweet spot.
1: Because
0: you're conscious, but you're kind of falling in and out. Mm -hmm. Um, And some really interesting mind tricks happen at that stage. But that usually takes a couple of floats because the first time you float you don't know what to expect you don't even know what the water feels like it feels silky right it doesn't feel like normal water yeah so yeah don't don't hype yourself up too much just go in there and try to relax that's it yeah
2: because i was telling colin on the way up here the past year i've i've found a new love for for meditation because i do it pretty much on a daily basis at this point excellent And and i was reading about that on the website how that's one of the benefits i I feel like I'm going to have a new, like an even heightened appreciation for something like this. And I'm excited.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people do kind of compare floating to meditation. So floating is like a perfect vehicle Mm -hmm. for attaining a meditative state. Mm -hmm. But floating in and of itself is not meditation, right? Mm -hmm. You still have to kind of focus your mind on letting go of your thoughts. Unlike what people think, sensory deprivation tanks, um, they're almost sense heighteners. Mm. You will be hypersensitive to whatever senses you're experiencing, right? Um, Of course, we eliminate the light and the sound, if you want. A lot of people leave the lights on, and that's fine, too. Mm. But, you know, it's definitely something that your mind is, it's just a, a conducive environment for meditation. So if you already meditate... You should relax a lot sooner than a lot of people will. Mm -hmm. That
1: don't, yeah. Uh, I was telling Tim my first time I was fortunate enough to get between meditation and sleep, but I didn't realize it until the outside lights came back on. I was like, "Whoa, (laughs) (laughs) something just went down here." Uh, But I also like because I'm one. My mind goes and it goes and it goes, and so I actually like like Tim. You know, I've I've started my morning started. Part of my morning practice is having your silence where there's no yes. noise there's no phone and like even if it's a few minutes yes because I have to actually work hard at it so my first float it probably took me 10 15 maybe 20 minutes that's very normal to be like okay nothing yep. nothing yeah and can you that's all there is yeah and yep. uh finally it, it got to that point and then I came to I was like now we're talking. That's where I would see the 90 minute could be a little more beneficial for someone like me where it takes some time to get there. Yes. And you want to spend a little more time there once you hit that sweet spot.
0: Exactly. And, and I'm glad you brought that up about the 90 minutes. So a lot of people from the West Coast in Canada where floating has been around for a much longer time, 90 minute floats are standard, right? Mm, okay. um, most people who hear about 60 minute floats that are from there are like, oh, that's not enough time. But like our members here you can do 90 minute floats at no charge that's one of the benefits i think you have to kind of gradually work your way up if you're not somebody who's completely um, kind of open to the fact that you can be in a space with no stimulation for 90 minutes so many people walk in here from chicago and an hour is such a long time in the city Right. So I kind of defend against the 60 minute minimum. But really, if I forced 90 minutes on people as the standard, we probably would have half as many people. Oh, wow, 60 minutes is like yeah. pushing it for some people. Right. And then again, you'll hear people say, like, I was bored after 30 minutes. Well, yeah. Which means you probably need to do it more. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, again, we're not here to stimulate you. But yeah. um, Yeah, it's a very unique business and such a privilege because how many times can you introduce somebody to something they've never heard of that is helping them in a natural way, Um, just getting people to relax and I always joke people are nicer when they leave than when they come in, it is a fact. It really is a fact. I'm like, me personally, I'm always nicer when I float. Yeah. I can tell when I need to, when I've got an edge, like I do today, just warning you, there's a little edge. It's all good. I need to. We think you're fun time. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, it has been truly a privilege. But going back to the business side, you know, scaling this type of business is very hard. It is not like what people are used to when you're thinking about like opening tanning salons or something like that you don't just you don't just plug things in and they work this is a very different type of business it is like having five oceans in your building Mm. in pool systems everybody knows how hard it is to maintain a pool right yeah so when you have five pools in your building which is what they are Mm -hmm. they're pool systems um and salt which is your frenemy because it is everywhere Mm -hmm. everything you touch Coming out of the float tank turns to salt. So, think about that from a maintenance standpoint. Our teams have to work really hard. Yeah. Um, so, like my first location, it's three years old. It is not that not that old, right? In dog years, it's like a hundred years old, because so many people have been there now. Sure that we've had to replace i I can't tell you how many times i've replaced shower heads we need to replace floors we need to replace you know the the door frames that have rusted now from salt water it's a nightmare and
1: and i'm glad you brought (laughs) scaling and those things up because uh, i always like to ask what people don't see they see the entrepreneur that oh that was pretty awesome. It kind of happened overnight. It, it's not an overnight thing. Oh God, and and yeah. like, they don't take that into account. You don't just make money and it goes straight to your pocket. Oh my gosh, no. It so, is, so I'm really glad you brought those up. like, no, there's a lot of maintenance to, to keep doing what we do at the level that we want to do it at.
0: That's right. That's right. I'm already experiencing anxiety as a business owner with my first location. You know, basically I've been under construction for three years. I had my first location and then... Soon started working on my second location, which then became my third location because it was taking too long. Um, I had to move. That's a whole, again, another podcast for that. <laughs> we got a few uh, more rounds to come <laughs> up with. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like we do. Uh, just, just the site selection process is crazy in this business. But um, yeah, as soon as you feel like you've caught up and now you're you're done, like my construction hat is off now, right, that happened in December basically. Here we are in April, and I'm already thinking about tearing out one of my float tanks in River North and replacing it, um, redoing the floors. Every dollar that I have made in profit, which fortunately we have been a positive cash flow business since opening, but every dollar has gone back into the business. Whether it was to open a new location and expand, and now everything's got to go back into rehabbing the first one so that I don't have a breakdown in service mm-hmm. I've wow. already got that apologetic <laughs> feeling when people come in and I'm like oh sorry about the rust down there you know but I do feel like transparency is key right oh, if yeah. you're acknowledging yeah. it and just not saying oh yeah we're just letting this place go to on a handbag right. <laughs> um, but as a business owner you don't think a lot of people don't think through that process and I don't know that they believe it if, mm-hmm. even if they have thought about it if you don't do it you'll go out of business mm-hmm. so you have to put all this money back in and there there's not a lot to go on. when you're a growth company there there is no I mean I'm I feel more poor now than I have my whole life <laughs> <laughs> so and it's funny because I've got two kids in college now and so this is probably the worst possible time for me to
1: go off and do this but there's never a perfect time no
0: but it's the best thing I've ever done yeah and the
2: lives are changing by doing this for sure I
0: mean I I feel it's so satisfying when I step into the floats studio which by the way like I have an amazing team at each location so they don't rely on me to be there to run Mm -hmm. the studio I'm doing a million other things right when I step in and I'm interacting with guests it makes all of the pain go away it, it, and there's pain, right? So just working on payroll is painful. <laughs> <laughs> Which I've got to do that today. Every two weeks, there's that pain process. But um, I did a, a presentation for the float conference. There's a conference that is made up of the most beautiful people in the world running these, these different industry or float centers across the country, across the world. And I had to speak last year. And I talked about, you know, the three main things from a business standpoint that you need to know before you open a float center, because there's a lot of prospective float center people there. Um, The rent, the labor, and the marketing. Those are the three highest expenses. Most people, most businesses do not focus enough on the marketing because that's a soft, more, um, you know... You, you don't need it, right, operationally, but you do need it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're not going to have operations, yeah, right? Sure. Yeah. But it's the easiest thing to kind of say, oh, I'll get to that or I'll, I'll like, skimp here. And I'm doing it right now, frankly, um, just because when it comes to managing your cash flow, you have to do what has to be done first. You have to prioritize. And when there's an not an unlimited supply of funds, you have to make sacrifices. Mm-hmm. So... My whole talk is about making sure you set those things up in a way that can be supported by the business model um, by managing how many how many appointments can you do a day, how much occupancy do you have, how much capacity do you have. Um, so it was a really um, enlightening process to kind of go from the planning stages of what you think is going to happen when you open the doors mm-hmm. to what the reality is when your doors are open.
1: Do you have that recorded somewhere? Or I do. do you have that video?
0: I do. Okay. Um It's, it's we, on YouTube. I'd love to yeah. Plug
1: that in, in it's on YouTube. Notes.
0: Yeah. I hate watching myself on video, but it's. I'll let you have it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. Cause, yeah, because I was
0: watching the 2017 one.
1: Uh, okay. When they're uh, presenting to Ohio State. But, oh. Uh, that was uh, tailored towards PTSD. Yes.
0: As well, so I
1: started watching some of those. Yes. Uh, so that's kind of my perfect segue. Have you dealt with those types of clientele where? I mean, I know you're, you're introducing new things to people every day, and, and that's so fulfilling. Have you heard those powerful stories, too, of, like...
0: There are so many. So people will ask me, you know, what kind of people float. And I, as a marketer and somebody that understands business, the answer should never be, oh, everybody does. But the answer really is there's, there's really everybody, right? There are pockets of the population that have certain...